If not, I invite you to turn with me to the 12th chapter of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 12. We're, we're out of the book of, of 1 Thessalonians. We'll be here in Isaiah chapter 12. We will read the whole chapter here. Um, but before you get uh, get too opinionated about that, it's only six verses uh, here in Isaiah chapter 12. I've really been enjoying our adult Sunday school class uh, here over the last several weeks. We've uh, been digging into the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is perhaps one of the more important books of the New Testament because it kind of serves as this linchpin between the Old Testament and the New. It helps to explain a lot of the Old Testament things and how they connect to the New, and it helps to explain a lot of the New Testament things and how they connect to the Old. And so there's so much value that I, I love digging into the book of Hebrews. And as we've been doing that, what we look at in the early chapters of the book of Hebrews is that we see the Hebrew writer kind of using this thesis or this idea concerning the superiority of Jesus. We know that we see Paul in one place tell us that Christ is to have in all things the preeminence, that Jesus is above all. And we see that the Hebrew writer is diligently expressing that reality. He compares him to angels. He compares him to prophets. We've been studying this last week or two about how he compares him to Melchizedek. We see all these different elements in which the Hebrew writer is diligently telling us how much better Jesus is than everything else. He says in one place that Jesus has obtained a more excellent name than they all. We see in another place where the Hebrew writer tells us that Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry. My friends, today I want you to know that our Lord is excellent. Our Lord is excellent. Read with me here in Isaiah chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. It says, And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee, thou thou be was angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall you say, Praise the Lord, call upon His name, declare His doings amongst the people, make mention that His name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for He hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. And we'll stop there. That's all six verses of the 12th chapter of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah here in the early parts of his prophecy has been telling about the coming of Emmanuel, of God with us. He has been telling of the, of the prophecy of the coming of Jesus. And it's as though he gets to this high mark of the coming of the reality that Jesus is coming. That the Messiah will indeed be sent into earth. And he hits the pinnacle of that. And here he issues these six verses of wondrous praise for the Lord. And he begins and he says that in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou was angry with me, thou anger has been turned away and thou comfortest me. 
God is a God of love and of all comfort. And though we are certain that He is angry with the wicked every day, behold, He has given a way that His anger can be turned away from the wicked as they would come to know righteousness in His Son Jesus. What a tremendous thing to know. Though God is fully holy, and you are not, my friend. You are so far from holiness that the very ideas that have gone through your mind this morning are so sinful that they're sufficient to separate you from God for all eternity. Yet He has provided a way that you might be able to come unto Him, that His anger would be turned away, that you might know His comfort and His love and salvation through His only begotten Son, Christ. Christ Jesus. The reality today is that God is holy and you are not my friend and therefore you stand in great need of salvation and thanks be to God He has provided salvation through His only begotten Son. This is the cause of Isaiah's praise is that the promised Son is coming. He was prophesied and Isaiah did not prophesy of the coming of Jesus as though perhaps this will happen. He spoke these things with assurance as though He was already there. And as a result of that, He was made to praise God for salvation. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger has been turned away and thou comforts me. Listen to me, sinner friend. The reality of conviction, when conviction sets in upon your heart that you are lost and separated from God, it is perhaps the worst feeling that you will ever experience. To this day, it is the worst feeling that I've ever experienced. To know that I was apart from God and at risk, at, at His mercy of judgment and hellfire. Yet thanks be to God, uh, when I came to know Him, comfort entered into my heart. I felt and I have known His love ever since and the peace that comes beside it. There is reason to praise the Lord today. For salvation is freely available unto all that would come to believe. Aren't you glad of that? (laughs) Salvation full and free, is available to all that would come to the Lord. I'm going to be getting ahead of myself. But listen to me, sinner friend. The reason why the people of God praise the Lord is because they have tasted of the salvation that has been provided through Jesus Christ. And the reason why the sinner would feel so absent of that praise, would feel so separated from that praise, is because they don't know the reality of what we're praising God for. We know all the Scriptures about how the psalmist wrote how he would praise the Lord for he was fearfully and wonderfully made. I heard my children, some of your children, recount that verse at a program earlier this week that they had at their co-op. And it's true that God has fearfully and wonderfully made each of us. Isn't that cool? We see the little children around here. Each one of them unique, their personality unique, and their abilities unique, and the talents with, with which God has blessed them. Yet each one of them was fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. Each one of them is the apple of God's eye. Young friend today, you have been made after the image of God. 
What a tremendous reality to be living, walking expressions of the Creator of the universe. And you are the apple of God's eye. You are the crowning achievement of creation. And He loves you. And His love is greater than any love that has ever been expressed. I'm getting so far ahead of myself. (laughs) I just can't quite help it. Because when I start talking about salvation, it's as though I just can't quite stop and orderly and systemically tell you about it. Because the reality is that when you come to be saved, in that moment when the fullness of God has come into your heart as the Spirit dwells within you, behold, the reality of that changes your life. It does. I should have got a big amen from the people whose lives have been changed by God. (laughs) Salvation is life-changing. That's why we call it conversion. We're transformed. We're not who we used to be. We were sinners. And God has made us saints. We were once lost and in darkness and God has miraculously brought us into His marvelous light. We were goats and now we're sheep. My friend, I want you to know today that if you're lost, you're not all that different from those that are around you, but you are at the same time altogether different from those that are around you. What do I mean by that? If you're lost today, I want you to know that those that have been saved by God's grace that are around you, they have felt and known that same reality. They know what it is to stand separated from the Lord and to be lost in your sins. And the the fact is is that you remain with that same fleshly tendency towards sin even after you're saved. So you're not all that different from those that are saved around you. But I want you to know still that you are altogether different. Why? Because your heart is black and in sin. In the life of the believer, God has taken a heart of stone and He has placed it in its place, a heart of flesh. He has taken that which was lost and separated and that which could not know Him. And it was dependent upon our own righteousness, which this same prophet Isaiah would later say is as filthy rags. And He has placed in its stead the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So you see, lost friend, I want you to know today that you're not all that different from me and you, or from me and those that are saved. But at the same time, you are altogether different. And you say, well, Derek, that's not a very inclusive message. Listen to me, my friend. Salvation is exclusive. (laughs) It is exclusive. There is only one way to come unto the Father, and that's through the Son, Jesus Christ. There is not a more exclusive group of people on the face of the earth than those that have been saved by God's grace. For there is none other way to come unto the Lord but and by through Jesus Christ. You ever heard the news? They'll be real excited. They have some exclusive interview. Nobody else has this interview but us. We're the only people talking to the president or this famous person or whomever. It's exclusive. My friends, listen to me. There is nothing more exclusive than for a lost person to come unto God and to be saved. There's not a greater experience. There's not a greater happening than for that which is lost and separated from God to come and know God through His Son, Jesus. 
There's nothing greater in life than that. I'm saying that absolutely. There is nothing greater in life. Listen to me today, lost friend. I don't care what you grow up and become. I don't care what you pursue after in life. You will never find anything greater than coming to know God as your Savior. There is nothing else that will ever compare to that reality. That's why Isaiah was so filled with praise here in chapter 12. He keeps going. He says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Listen to what he says. He says, Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. I don't know if you've ever been to a well. Most of the wells that I've been into in life are decorative in nature only. I mean, they're those little wells people put in their yards for one reason or another. But I understand a little bit about having well water and about having a dependency that that well won't run dry. Back in 2011, right after my wife and I got married, Indiana experienced a drought. You remember that? That drought back about 10 years ago. What I remember so vividly about it was that there was on the news a big report about how all the reservoirs were getting low and they were worried about having drinking water. You see, for some reason, we think that even those that have city water, that for some reason, that means that we don't have to worry about our well going dry. The reality is your water comes from somewhere. And that source, it's not all that dependable all the time. Franklin. Right here where we're at. Not too long ago had that big crisis we heard about all over the news. It even made national news about whether or not the water in Franklin was contaminated or not. You remember that? There was a woman one day. She was out drawing water from a well. I assume she just had some, some buckets, some pots with her. and She was doing like she had always done and she hooked that bucket around the top of that rope to lower it down into the well that she might pull it back up and it be filled with water. No telling how many times the woman had done that very thing. There was a man sitting next to that well. He saw this woman coming to draw water and as he was doing so, she asked that he might have water to drink. And they struck up a dialogue through that conversation. They began discussing this water. That man said to her that she would take of this water and she would drink, but she would be thirsty again. That's the nature of us, isn't it? I got this bottle of water here to keep my mouth from getting too dry that you can't understand me. I'll probably finish this thing off before the end of church today before I leave here. But I want you to know later on this afternoon I'm going to be thirsty again. That's the nature of us when we go to a natural well, isn't it? That man told that woman at that well that day, he said that the water that I would give you, you would take and you would drink and you would never thirst again. That man that was talking to that woman that day was Jesus. And he was speaking to her about the water of life that he could supply. And he told her the water that she could taste of, that he would give to her, that it would be like a wellspring, it would be like a fountain that would grow up inside of her, that she could drink of freely. 
Isaiah here is carrying that same idea that there is a well of salvation, one that will not run dry, but all can come and taste of that water and drink of it freely. And after they would taste of that, they would never thirst again. Isaiah said, Therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. Have you ever just been thirsty? I'm talking about real thirsty. I've, I've talked about it so much, Brother Gary had to get a drink of water. <laughs> you ever been thirsty? <laughs> you ever been on a hot day? Been outside? And it's like all you want is, is, is something to refresh you. Something to satisfy that, that thirst, that dryness that you have inside. That's a pretty good similarity to draw to being lost. When there is just dryness, there is that which is just parched, that which just feels like you can't move another inch because you are so unsatisfied inside. Have you ever been in that mode and suddenly you find a drink of water and you start drinking it and it just tastes so good that you just can't quite get enough of it? It's like, just give me more. I, I just need more water. I remember being a little boy playing outside and I'd get all hot and sweaty and nasty and dirty and I'd come up and we'd have a water hose next to the house and I'd turn that water hose on and that water would start coming out and first it would be real hot. But then after that water that was in the hose got out of there, it would become real cold. And as a little boy, I would just lap that water up happy as could be. Because my longing need of thirst had been satisfied. Lost friend today, so it is with your soul. And the prophet says with joy, come and draw water from the wells of salvation. He keeps going. And he says, and in that day, in that day that you would take of that water from that well of salvation, in that day you shall say, praise the Lord, call upon His name, declare His doings amongst the people, make mention that His name is exalted. Christian friend, listen to me for just a minute. You remember a couple weeks ago here, or really over maybe the past six weeks or so, I've talked about how drama is not to be that which characterizes the life of the believer. We even talked a while ago about how joy is that which should characterize the life of the believer. How is joy expressed? The prophet tells us here in verse 4. He says, In that day you shall say, Praise the Lord! Call upon His name! Declare His doings amongst the people. Make mention that His name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord. If you wonder what attributes should be following the the one who has been brought to salvation, what should be following those who are saved, it is this, that praise would be ever on our lips. That we would continuously have hearts desiring to glorify the Lord. That we would make mention of Him. That we would declare Him unto those that are around us. And didn't you hear that word? The prophet used an absolute term to speak of how we are to tell others about the Lord. He said that we would declare Him. You know what a declarative statement is? 
It's one of those things that you are just putting your flag on and you are declaring it to be true. My friends, we have entered into a day and age in society where we see that truth has somehow become subjective. That you should just live according to your truth. I want you to know that is so far from being a biblical idea. Truth is absolute, my friends. And so we should with faith and with certainty declare the truths of Scripture without need to apologize for them. So many times, people find themselves in conversations about the Lord. And they will somehow try to bend the truth. They'll try to work their way around the truth out of fear that it will hurt somebody's feelings. Listen to me, Jesus Christ Himself said that He has not come to send peace, but to send the sword. That which would divide, that would cause that there would be some separation between that which is lost and in rebellion against the Lord, and that which is obeying His command. And I want to make that point very clear today. If you are lost and you are in your sins, you are living in open rebellion against the Lord. Let me say that again. If you are lost in your sins, and you are refusing to repent, you are living in open rebellion unto God. How do I know that's true? Scripture has spoken of the words of Christ. That He has commanded all men everywhere to repent. And your rejection of that command has placed you in rebellion against the Lord. And rebellion is always met with punishment. I spoke a few weeks ago concerning hell. Concerning the reality of these things that we think of and we have a hard time in our day and age grappling with them. But the reality is is that hell exists as a punishment for those that refuse to let go of their lives and trust in God for salvation. It is the eternal reward for sin. Isn't that what Paul said? That the wages of sin is what? It's death. My friends today, if you remain lost in your sinfulness, you will meet your eternal reward in hellfire. Yet God today has commanded all men everywhere to repent and believe the Gospel. There's good news for those that are lost and separated in their sins. You don't have to stay that way. Right now, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. The Lord invites all men to come unto Him and to take and to taste of the waters that He can provide that you would never thirst again. He invites all men everywhere to come to take His yoke upon them and to learn of Him for His yoke is easy and His burden is light. The reality today for you, my lost friend, is that there is a hope that remains for you because today, as air is filling your lungs, as life is in your body, and as the Spirit would compel you, behold, you have the opportunity to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have to stay lost. He says, For He hath done excellent 
things. I'm going to get right back to that in a second. He keeps going. He says, this is known in all the earth. God has revealed Himself through the excellent things that He has done in all the earth. Yes, even the creation points to the Creator. He says, cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Why are Baptists known to shout? Why? The Bible tells us that's the type of people that we would be. That we would be made to cry out and shout because of the good things. Yes, the excellent things that the Lord has done. There's not too many shouters in today's day and age. And what I'm led to believe about that is that there aren't that many shouters because people have grown deeper and deeper and and lacking to know the reality of the excellent things that God has done. (laughs) There is nothing better than a saint of God shouting over the excellent things that God has done. Is there? (laughs) I mean, I just get a chill. It's over my body when when I hear a saint of God start shouting. Start lifting holy hands unto the Lord and expressing the gratefulness and joy in their heart and praise the Lord for the excellent things that He has done. It's like they just can't quite contain it in their bodies. In fact, that's how Sister Jess puts it regarding Corey's dad. You ever heard Corey's dad shout? Ronnie Houndjens is a world-class shouter. World-class! Sister Jess was telling me one time, she was talking to Ronnie about that, about him shouting. And his response to her was, he said, I don't see how the rest of you can hold it in. <laughs> That'd be a good reality for us to, to contemplate on for a while. Why is it that we find ourselves so able to hold in the excitement and the gratitude and the joy in our hearts for the excellent things that the Lord has done? Now, I want to talk to you just for a few more minutes about those excellent things. What excellent things has the Lord done? If you look at the word excellent that's used here in the Hebrew, the the idea that follows it is this idea of multitude or this idea of abundance, of greatness, as though it's innumerable in its amount for the excellent things that God has done. We see the psalmist in Psalm number 150 Excuse me, I hear in the psalmist, I'll just read the whole psalm again at six verses. It says, Praise you the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the ferment of His power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the sound of the psaltery and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with strings, instruments, and organs. Praise Him upon the loud cymbals. Praise Him upon the high-sounding symbols. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Do you hear the last part of that second verse? He said, praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Excellent greatness. What are the excellent things that God has done? God is excellent in His mercy. He excels all in the mercy that He provides. 
Scripture tells us that His mercies are renewed every morning. We see these excellent things in the reality of mercy and how He is able to show forth His goodness towards us even when we are undeserving. He withholds His judgment from us even when we are deserving of judgment. His mercy is excellent. Scripture tells us that it's in Him that we live and we move and we have our being. Why is that? How are we able to live and move and have our being in the Lord except that God remains merciful even though we would fail Him? His mercy is excellent. He is excellent in His graciousness and His grace that He exercises towards us where He gives benefit to us even though we don't deserve it. Listen to me, my friend. The great high calling, the high mark of Christianity is this, is that we do not depend upon our own good works for salvation. Every other religion on, on the face of the earth is looking to their own good works as their source of salvation. But my friends, we look into the works of another. I stand today at peace with God, not because of how good I am. I stand today at peace with God because of how good Jesus is. My hope of heaven, when I stand before God in judgment, it will not be to recount all of the good things that I have done that somehow I have earned heaven. Instead, I will stand in judgment of all my sins and all my wrongs. Yet He will look upon me and He will see the blood of His Son and I will gain heaven not because of what I have done, but because of what Jesus has done. I'm going to heaven on the merits of another. That's the great high mark of Christianity is that it's not about us. You know what I'm going to say next. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Him. God is excellent in His mercy and in His grace for He has taken the blame and the sinfulness and the wickedness and His wrath for it and He has poured it upon His Son. His only begotten Son. He is excellent and is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But all those ways in which He is excellent, there is one that is more excellent than all of them. He's excellent in His mercy. He's excellent in His grace. He's excellent in His long-suffering. We could just keep going down all the attributes of God and His excellence. But there is one that surpasses all of them. The last verse of the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, we see Paul in that 12th chapter, he's dealing with, with the different gifts that would be given to the body of Christ. And he gets to the end of that chapter and he tells you to pray and to covet and to desire for the best gifts. Yet he says, but I will show you a more excellent way. He spends the next verses of the 13th chapter talking and going into depth about that excellent way. And he gets to the end of that 13th chapter and he says this. He says, Faith, hope, love. The Lord has given us these three. But the greatest of these is love. Love surpasses all else. God's love and His excellency, it rises above all of His excellence. That it would be the pinnacle of His excellency is His love for a sinner just like you and His love for a sinner just like me.
He has surpassed in His love that which would be anything that we could even understand here in this life. His love is unsearchable. His riches are unknowing. His love is what has compelled His Son to die on a cross for us. Have we forgotten that which we have heard even from the time we were children in the book of John in the third chapter in the 16th verse? For God so loved the world. God has loved the world to this extent that He gave His only begotten Son. Paul told this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. He said that He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That Son, that only begotten Son of God, that God gave in love, He made Him to be sin for us, even though He knew no sin. Do you understand what that means, sinner friend? Listen to me. Sinner, I want you to realize all of the things that you've ever done in your life, all those wrong things, the the lies that you have told, the things that you have stolen, your disobedience to your parents, all those things that you have done that are against who God is and His righteousness. And yet all of that sinfulness that is in your heart today, sinner friend, God has taken His wrath for that and He has poured it out against His Son. He made Him to be sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And He did it out of His love for the whole entire world. (laughs) Sometimes I get a little bit frustrated when people say that God is love and they just leave it like that like they're, they're missing the big picture. God's a lot of other things too. But I want you to know this, God is a God of And He loves you, sinner friend, today so much. He gave His only begotten Son. And He counted His sacrifice as acceptable. He counted His sacrifice as that which would pay in full your sin debt. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine yesterday. He was talking about some things and he was using a comparison. He said he's made before and I'll share it with you. He was talking about being in debt. He was talking about how it is that it wasn't until he got older and he had a car payment and these different things that he began to understand the reality of what that meant to, to not be freed from that debt. And he just started talking about how you just always know you, you gotta, you gotta pay somebody. And he said, and then I began to realize that that same thing is true with me and the Lord. That there was a debt that I could not pay. That someone had paid on my behalf. And because that payment has been submitted on behalf of the sinner, we have salvation available to us full and free. It's a free gift. Salvation is. So I ask you today, what are the excellent things? Will you believe of the excellent report of our God? The book of Ephesians tells us that it is by what that you are saved. It is by grace that you are saved. The free gift of God. The excellent gift of God. Isaiah said, Therefore with joy 
shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. And that day you shall say, Praise the Lord. Call upon His name. Declare His doings amongst the people. Make mention that His name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for He hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One in the midst of Israel. We see one other place in the New Testament. We see a compelling that we would search and that we would prove the excellent things. To approve the excellent things. The commandment of our Lord there in the Scriptures is that we would look and that we would determine which things are good and which things are not good. Which things are excellent and which things are not excellent. Today, sinner friend, I want to tell you the excellent things. The excellent truth of God is that God has borne your sins in His Son. That His Son has borne the weight of your sins. He has borne the agony of your sins. He has borne the wrath of God for your sins. All that is is left to be done, sinner friend, for you to be saved is to renounce, to, to, to repent of your dead works as we study this morning here in the book of Hebrews. That you repent of your dead works and that you would come to full faith and trust in the excellent things that God has done on your behalf. Brother Brent, let's get a song. If you're here today and you're lost, I want to extend an invitation to you. I have told you a little bit about the excellent things of God, but I want you to know today, sinner friend, the most excellent thing that you will ever see God do is save your soul. The most excellent thing that I've ever seen God do in my life is save my soul. I've seen a lot of excellent things that God has done. I can take you back upon memory after memory of watching the hand of the Lord at work in my life, the life of my family, the life of my friends, and the life of my brothers and my sisters. But today, this truth remains for my life that the most excellent thing that He ever done was on the fourth Thursday of November, 1995, when He saved my soul. That is the excellent thing for which I praise the Lord even today just as Isaiah was made to do when he recounted and and told of the coming of the Messiah and it was so assured to him that he told of his coming and he was left to praise the Lord for the excellent things. Today, sinner friend, if God is stirring in your heart, do you feel the pulling, the, the, the desire of God upon your heart that you would come and seek after Him? Don't push it off. Don't rebel against the Lord today. But as we stand and as we sing this song, I invite you to come and pray. Come and search after the Lord this morning. Amen.